0: to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. <laughs> Alright, let me get started. Um, probably the best uh, advice I've ever received... In my life pertaining to ministry, came from uh, one of my mentors, and he said this to me: "He said, Andre, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You teach what you know, and you reproduce who you are. And um, and you know that's that's the struggle I often feel, you know, with uh, preaching and uh, ministering and sharing these messages, you know, because um, I can teach, you know, I can do countless of hours of research and present to you, with, present you with facts." Uh, interesting angles uh, to approach scripture, but uh, it doesn't really bring about any transformation unless uh, it first uh, is something that has been uh, a part of uh, the way I do life. You know, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And uh, like, you know, you've heard me preach a, a bunch of times. Uh, one of my trademarks is I like to look at uh, Hebrew and uh, Greek and uh, show you how smart I am sometimes and uh, I know I can I can hold my own in the Hebrew thing. You know, um, I can speak on Hebrew. Uh, some Hebrew words I can teach. Some Hebrew words I can. I even know when someone is cursing me out in Hebrew, which I think is part of mastering a language. You need to know when people are swearing at you, so you can like, oh, you swear at me. I know you did. And so I I can hold my own ish. You know, with like uh, some Hebrew words. You know, but how many of you know that even? That, you know, if me and, when, when me and Amy get married, you know, and we are trying to try for a baby, you know, no matter how many uh, Hebrew words I declare at a womb, no matter how many, how much Hebrew I know, no matter how much I, uh, uh, culture I, I throw at her, Hebrew culture, we will never produce a Middle Eastern baby, right? Does that make sense? <laughs> no, I can go like, Shabbat Shalom, and it doesn't mean like Hebrew baby is going to come out, right? You teach what you you know, but you reproduce who you are, right? The the baby would be a reproduction of who we are. Does that make sense? Is that a good analogy? I think that that was I was like, I was pretty excited about that one. It's it's gonna go downhill from there. That's what that was my my best one. <laughs> but but you know that's that's uh, how I feel about today's message, you know, and um, I, I feel so stirred, you know, and I, I think that there's been like this this theme going with uh, everyone that's had, had the mic. You know, there's this weight that's in the room this morning, and I uh, really want us to lean into it, and um and I think that's that's the the goal and responsibility of anyone who uh, is a leader or a, or a father, a CEO, a manager, a pastor. You know, it's not enough to just know things; it has to become a part of who you are if you want to see it replicated and reproduced, if you want to see your kids grow up uh, God, your kids growing up pursuing the Lord, hungering and thirsting for Him, then it has to be part of you, part of the way you do life. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Does that make sense? And uh, if this is your first Sunday with us, we are on a seven-week series. Come on. um, And I have the privilege of teaching on week number five. And uh, it's the fifth saying of Jesus on the cross, and, um, and we're going to have that verse up. How many of you have appreciated uh, the different people that have come up to uh, anchor different parts of the sermon series? Come on. <laughs> Joy, Joy did one where she offered to slap all of you to, to, touch, to get you on the right path in love. And uh, we had Adrian last week, a missionary from Uganda, and I think that was phenomenal, some phenomenal stories. And so... No pressure, Andre, you're on week five. Alright, so let's have the verse up. This is the fifth saying of Jesus on the cross. Let's read this. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and they made four parts apart to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece, so they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Next slide. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, "Behold, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. Next slide. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. And that's the fifth saying of Jesus on the cross, I thirst. I am thirsty. And if you'll we're, do, were to do research on um, uh, the way the Romans uh, carried out uh, the crucifixion in that day, you would know um, that some scholars believe that uh, a, a person on the road to crucifixion will be offered two drinks. Everybody say two drinks. Two drinks. The first drink he'll be offered to uh, was a drink uh, of wine mixed with myrrh. And this was to be given to uh, the criminal before he or she was crucified. And it was designed to dull the pain it was like an anesthetic, right? We heard about it uh, last week, and it was designed to, to, uh, to uh, you know, numb uh, certain parts of uh, their body and their consciousness, so they wouldn't experience the full extent of the pain of the crucifixion. All right, that was the first drink they were offered before the crucifixion, and then the second drink that was offered to the criminals was a drink of sour wine, and this was designed to keep the criminals conscious for as long as possible and thus have the effect of prolonging pain. And typically a criminal would take the first drink and reject the second drink. But how many of you know that Jesus rejected the first drink and he took the second drink? He experienced the full extent of the pain of the cross. That's your Jesus and my Jesus, right? Um, Other scholars believe that um, that the drink that was offered to Jesus on the cross was, uh, in fact, a extremely cruel uh, a drink, you know. The Romans, um, in that day, would have these uh, public bathrooms, right? And uh, they would do their business. And if you Google that, it's actually really communal and really interesting. It's, it's like rows and rows of open seating uh, bathrooms. And so they would actually sit there and debate on politics. You know, how many of you ever had the urge of debating on politics while you are in the toilet. You know, if so, you might just be a Roman. And so they they were sitting, uh, they would sit on the bathrooms and uh, on, the, on the little seats and uh, do their business and they would talk. And um, the way they cleaned themselves the and they didn't have toilet paper, they didn't have Kleenex. What they did was they took um, a sponge and uh, they put a branch through the sponge and they would actually dip it in, in a mixture of vinegar and wine. It was a sour wine and they would rub uh, their bums off of whatever gross stuff came out from there and they would dip it back in as a disinfectant. And uh, some scholars believe that that was the drink to which they offered Jesus on the cross. Gross. It was disgusting. You know, um, it's cruel, right? But it's what the Messiah went through for you and me. If you ask me which one is true, you know, is it the sour wine or is it you know, uh, poop water? Uh, I don't know, but I, I know it's, it's horrific, it's cruel, but it's what the Messiah went through for you and me. And what I want to highlight about, uh, you know, on this whole um, uh, scripture that we just read is, is the fact that Jesus said, I thirst and I am thirsty. And In that, you know, we come into connection with Jesus' humanity. Right, in, in, uh, uh, it, it, It's almost like we look at Jesus and it's like, oh, Jesus has the same needs that I have. You know, I thirst and Jesus thirsts as well. And so we come into connection with His humanity that He came and He bought a cross, not just as uh, a God, in, in, uh, but He came and bought a cross as a man. He endured this pain. He experienced the full extent of the cross as a man. And we come into connection with His humanity. He was subjected to the same temptations, challenges that we face, but also on top of that, he had the same basic needs that we had. Jesus was suffering from severe dehydration. It says that before the crucifixion began, he had clearly had physical symptoms associated with severe stress. The night before the execution, his disciples reported seeing Jesus in agony on the Mount of Olives. Not only did he not sleep all night, but he seems to have been sweating profusely. So great was the stress that Tiny blood vessels were rupturing in his sweat glands and emitting as great red drops that fell to the ground. And he was bleeding and bleeding and bleeding on the cross and all the fluids was, was being drained from his, him, his body. And we could uh, then say that Jesus was severely dehydrated on the cross. And that, that was what brought about that, uh, that request, uh, I'm thirsty. Give me something to drink. Therefore on the cross, as Jesus said the words, I thirst it, gives us a glimpse into His humanity. And the fifth word that Jesus spoke on the cross, I put it to you, was a word of distress. Everybody say distress. Distress. And the definition of distress is this. It's pain, discomfort, anxiety, and ache caused by lack. Pain, discomfort, and ache caused by lack. You know, thirst is a extremely powerful thing. It's A natural instinct regulated by negative feedback that loops between the brain and the organs. I'll say that again. It's a natural instinct regulated by negative feedback that loops between the brain and the organs. And so the reason why you're thirsty or you feel thirsty is because the brain is telling the body that it's missing something and it's needing something in order to live. Let me if you follow with me. Follow me, right? The reason you're thirsty is because the brain is telling the body that it's missing something and it is needing something in order to live. The loss of the ability to thirst is a sign that the body is shutting down and impending death is coming. I put it to you this morning that the sense of thirst is a sign and a reminder that one is alive, that one is still alive. Thirst is a proof of life. Thirst is the proof of life. I want to take it a step further and say to you that just like it is in the natural, a thirst for God and the things of God is a sign of spiritual life. A thirst for God and the things of God is a sign of spiritual life. You know, uh, medical, researchers, uh, have, uh, have, uh, medical research has shown that a person can undergo... Uh, So much trauma, stress, and pain that the body will go into a self-preservation mode and they will lose uh, certain desires, including thirst, in order to protect that body. And that's uh, a sign of death is coming. And Jesus on the cross, uh, after experiencing all that he went through, after experiencing trauma, pain, stress, like you cannot imagine, he professed the words, I am thirsty, almost as an act of defiance, like, you know, come at me bro, you've done all that you've done, you've, you've uh, uh, done all that gruesome stuff, but I'm still alive, I'm still thirsty. I think it, it, it translates into something in the spiritual for you and me, that though circumstances may come, though trauma may come, though sudden hardships may come, we'll still be thirsty and desiring the things of God. Can I get it? amen? Even as Jesus was in distress, he recognized his need. Matthew 5, 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be few. And um, I did some research on the word righteousness, and the word righteousness actually means this. It actually means right standing or to be with the source. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to be with the source, for they shall be filled. Are you all with me this morning? Yeah? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the source, for they shall be filled. You know, I remember in Genesis when God created man, He distinguishes man above anything, any other thing He created. He said man was very good. How I many of you remember that? Yeah? He said man was very good. And then he would go on to say that it's not good for man to be alone, but let me create for him a helper. How I many of you remember that? So God distinguishes man as a this is a great creation. This this creation stands above every other thing I created. But then he creates men with needs. He goes on to say, it's not good for man to be alone. Let me create for him a helper. And so t- today, for most of us, we associate having needs, having uh, uh, flaws and having things that, that we, we can't, we're not perfect. We associate that as weakness. But in God's perspective, he creates man with needs and he calls it very good. It's paradoxical. You and I were created with needs. We were created with a need for a companion. Most of all we were created with a need for God. And it's part of our design, it's part of the way we were created and it's very good in God's economy, in God's kingdom. This is perfect. They are need for me. You do not mature out of a need for God. It's not like a baby Christian thing. You do not mature out of a need for God. Making sense? (laughs) I'll read to you another scripture, Matthew 5 verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I put it to you this morning that hunger is the expression of what Jesus said, that poor in spirit looks like utter dependency other dependency, and we read all across the Bible, you know, um, different men who, um, who did great exploits, but we also read of men who, who failed horribly, terribly, and if you were to uh, put uh, several of these stories side by side, you'll find a common denominator among all these stories is that it's because these men came to a point in their life where they thought that it was a great idea to not have God as a part of the equation. But I don't need God to uh, accomplish these things. I don't need God to live. I don't need God to uh, bring about breakthrough. I can do it in my own strength. Even the the, the fall of man, you know, um, uh, Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve was this, you know, eat this fruit and then you will become like God, knowing good and evil. But how many of you know that Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall lived in complete dependence, complete connection and relationship with the Lord? Every need that they needed, every, every uh, want in their heart, God supplied. And the Satan came and he tempted them and he said, No, you, you don't need that. If you eat this fruit, you are able to be like God. You are able to do the things that God does. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. Yes? Independence is dangerous in the kingdom. I put it to you that some of you uh, have lost a sense of thirst and hunger for the Lord because you have come to a place in your life where your strengths are, are, are so uh, well displayed, where you have so much maturity and experience that it, it almost uh, compensates for your lack of relationship with the Lord. I can do the church thing, I can do the ministry thing, I can run my family well, I don't need God because I have experience, I have... Mature, I have knowledge, I have Google. <laughs> I don't need the Lord anymore. Even as a, as a preacher, you know, uh, in the days of old, preachers would actually have to sit and wait on the Lord. Lord, give me a revelation. Give me a revelation. All I have to do these days is go and search up a few commentaries, piece together like a jigsaw puzzle, and bam, I have a sermon. It's so easy these days to live a life of Independence. To live a life without needing God. Amen, Andre. (laughs) I'm, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff because we are running out of time. But question for us this morning is, are you spiritually alive? Are you spiritually alive? Thirst, hunger is the proof of life. My question to you this morning is as as Christians, as people who come on a Sunday morning, as people who profess to be believers in Christ, are you hungry and are you thirsty for God and for the things of God? Are you constantly putting a demand on Him for more? Because if you're not, my suggestion to you this morning is that you're spiritually dead and you need to do something about it. Your growth is your responsibility. It's not mine. It's not his. It's not his. I going to read you, to you a quote from a man that I really admire, Smith goes Goldsworth. He says, this, says, The secret of spiritual success is a hunger that persists. It's an awful condition to be satisfied with one's spiritual attainments. God was and is looking for hungry, thirsty people. The secret of spiritual success It's a hunger that persists. And how many of you are familiar with Smith Wigglesworth, yeah? It's a miracle worker, signs and wonders, and God used him powerfully in in that day. You know, it says that uh, Wigglesworth uh, was was, uh, touring one day and uh, he came into a town and the town had a severe um, um, famine because of uh, a plant disease that was eating all the crops. You know, there was a plant disease and it was ravaging all the crops. And Smith Wigglesworth... In Smith fashion, looked at the crops and lifted his hands and said, "I rebuke you in Jesus' name." And the disease left instantly. And that was the biggest yield they ever, uh, ever recorded. Smith goes worth would uh, go into hospitals. He would pray for people, and sometimes they were. And uh, there was this lady that uh, ended up dying. Uh, midway during prayer, and Smith uh, grabbed the lady by her shoulders and put her up against the wall and said, Walk in Jesus' name. And she came back to life and she started walking in Jesus' name. God used him in such remarkable, uh, wondrous ways, you know. But I want to read you, to you a story that illustrates the hunger and the thirst in uh, Smith's heart. Smith was Really, a man after God's own heart. he'll you know, read his biographies, and you realize that he he has devoted himself uh, to uh, praying and waiting on the Lord for countless of hours. And it says this: that uh, night after night, pastors, elders, young evangelists, and intercessors had crowded into the back room to pray, and pray they did until Smith Wigglesworth began to pray. And this was a account from a pastor who was alive during Wigglesworth's ministry. And when this uneducated, broken man of God began to pray, he prayed right into heaven and heaven seemed literally to fill the room. The presence of God became so intense that one by one, each of them was forced to leave, convicted, overpowered, and physically unable to stay. Imagine that. Imagine holding a prayer meeting and you have full attendance and... This guy begins to pray, and one by one, people start to leave, because they are so overwhelmed and overcome by the presence. And one account I read, uh, and it's beautiful, you know, um, a pastor wrote that uh, we had a prayer meeting, and Smith began to pray, and one by one, we begin to leave the room, overpowered, overwhelmed by the presence, fearing for our lives, until all that remained in the room was God. And his friend. It was God and his friend. This man had such a hunger and thirst for the Lord that, that God was able to trust him with power, trust him with influence to establish his kingdom. I want to read to you a verse from um, Psalms 107. It says this, Psalms 107. There he makes the hungry dwell, that they may establish a city for a dwelling place and sow fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them and they multiply greatly and He does not let their cattle decrease. This is the inheritance for the hungry, for those who first for the Lord, they'll be entrusted with a city. That they may establish a city for God to dwell. And the city is often uh, uh, used to illustrate a place of refuge in the Bible. What if the secret sauce, if you will, or the ingredient that is needed to seeing the more of God in our midst is hunger? Okay, maybe not a suggestion. Hunger is the secret sauce. It is what is needed to seeing the more of God in our midst. I don't know about you, okay? I've been around the Christian block a while. I've talked to you guys a bunch and I know there are some uh, uh, people in our midst who are suffering from uh, terminal conditions or know people or have family members suffering from cancer, from various conditions. And that's not okay. Come on. That's not Okay? We need the more of God in our midst. We need the power of God in our midst. We need the anointing of God in our midst. We need the kingdom of God to invade this place. And what if the thing that's stopping that flow is a lack of hunger and thirst among us? Do you recognize that your hunger and thirst for the things of God can unlock the storehouses of heaven and release answers, solutions and breakthrough for people so, who so desperately need it. Hunger brings breakthrough. I'm sick and tired of seeing people die prematurely. I believe the, the Lord has called this church, the city, to be a place of refuge, to be a dwelling place for His glory, to be a place of answers, solutions and breakthrough for people who need it. I don't know. Are you hungry and thirsty for that? I'm serious. Are you hungry and thirsty for that? Hunger always demands an expression. It's not just illustrated by how exuberant you worship on a Sunday morning. You see, there's two kinds of hunger. There's a hunger to which you sit on your armchair and you shout for your mom or your wife, hey, go grab me some food. Please help me take some food. But there's a different kind of hunger, a hunger that will make you get off your chair, off your sorry butt, and go to the kitchen and make something for yourself. <laughs> Question is, what kind of hungry are you? Are you, kind of, are you the kind of hungry that will be satisfied and okay with sitting there waiting for handouts, are you the kind of hungry who will actually get up, go, make certain sacrifices, get out of a comfort zone in order to have the more of God? Ah, hunger (laughs) demands expression. Help me preach. (laughs) Yeah, man. You just look at my sister later, you know. Every Sunday, we go through the same ordeal in my cell group. It's like, oh, where do we go to eat? Where do we go to eat? And then my sister will be like, okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And she'll begin to walk out the door. Why? Because she's hungry. And it demands an expression. It, it moves you and it moves people. It's true. It's true it'll motivate you to move away from a place of convenience and comfort. Am making sense? Five more minutes. Ooh. You shall be filled. <laughs> it's okay if I don't get to my points. Our youth ministry, four years ago, four years ago, five years ago, four or five years ago, we experienced an outpouring like no other. And uh, I've been a Christian for 10, 11 years, and those few months were the best months of my Christian life because God was so real. And it's so interesting that we sang that third song today because that song was like an anthem for me during during that, uh, that few months, you know, uh, God would so visit our young people that our young people would spend six to eight hours just worshipping God. It was crazy. We would have church on Sunday morning at 10, 12 o'clock we would get out of church, we will go have lunch and they would come back into church in order to worship for another eight hours and people would experience God like no other. I think that's the reason why we have so many many of our young adults here in church today, because they experience the reality of God. God is so real. Um, It's phenomenal. And uh, about a few months in, you know, we we saw a a decline, if you would. Uh, Things just stopped happening. We didn't really know what to do with it. Didn't really know, like, we were like, can we blame ourselves? Is it right to blame ourselves? <laughs> what do we do? Can we do? Could, could we have done something better? You know, and but we we've already experienced the more. You know, we knew we knew that was more, and, and that was really what prompted my my decision to spend three years in the U.S. in in a church who I knew uh, sustained revival for many years. I knew they had the more of God, and. And I was like, God, I'll pay the price. I will go. You know, and uh, th- to some of you, that might be a big sacrifice. To some of you, it might be a small sacrifice. But nevertheless, to me, it was, it was a sacrifice. You know, uh, I had to give up a lot of things in order to go. But hunger will motivate you. It will push you out of your comfort zone. It will push you out of convenience in order for the more. It will. I know how hungry and thirsty you are by seeing how much you sacrifice. I know how thirsty and hungry you are by seeing where your priorities are. Am I making sense? I remember a, a time in my life where I was so hungry for a prophetic word. Uh, we were, it, it, the church back then wasn't really moving in prophecy and nobody really knew how to give a prophetic word other than thus save the Lord. Uh, repent, you sinful man. Uh, pretty much that was it. You know, but I was so hungry for a prophetic word. I was like, God, I need a word from you. I need to know you are real. And I was a young Christian back then and uh, I was Googling one day as all smart Decisions come from and uh and I was googling and I found this ministry uh on uh on the internet and uh and it had this big uh banner on the top of the website that says 20 US dollars for a prophetic word. And you see, I was like 17, 20 US dollars is a lot of money. So I was like, but I want a word from you Lord. <laughs> I need this word, I'll pay the price. Thank God someone indicated the price and not said free will amount because I didn't know how to, what to give. So I was like, okay, man, I'll do it. And so I, I put my debit card in, I gave 20 US dollars, and uh, I waited for a word from the Lord. And, and uh, the guy, uh, prophet, sorry, the prophet, <laughs> uh, he, he got back to me the, the, the next day with a four-minute prophetic word. I still have it today. If you want to take a listen, it's very personal. It's the first prophetic word that I've ever received in my life, so it sets the tone for the rest of the prophetic words I receive. And um, how you will do it is you pay the 20 US dollars and you will fill an e form and uh, you just fill it with your name, your, your first name, and your last name, your email address, and it will give you a word. Like the really next day. If you want a website, I can give it to you. And, uh, and so. And so uh, the, 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 the email comes and uh, it's this little sound clip that says prophetic word for Andre. And this is how the word begins. My dear sister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how the Lord sees you. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he was like, I see the Lord has called you to be a Proverbs thirty-one woman, <laughs> which I'm still trying to find the fulfillment of. And uh, it's like, oh, you'll be such a maid servant to your husband. <laughs> and then he was like, and you'll do so much for the church. You'll have a cooking ministry. Cooking ministry, Proverbs thirty-one, woman. So uh, that was like that was four minutes of that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll play it for you one day if you're good. Um, (laughs) But see, hunger will cause you to pay a price. No, like in all seriousness, I was so hungry and desperate for a word of God. I would, I would have done anything. Really, if the guy would have asked for like $1,000, I would have found a way to raise $1,000 in order to get a word. Uh, yeah, it's wrong, I know. No, I know now, I'm mature-ish now. But, but the heart was there. Amen? At least I thought so. The heart, heart was there. I wanted a word. You know, I was hungry and thirsty the Lord and so the question for you this morning and I should close this are you spiritually hungry, are you thirsty I want to share with you three points I'm not going to elaborate on that but I think there are three ways to cultivate hunger number one is to recognize need everybody say recognize need (laughs) recognize that you have a need for the Lord and recognize that you thirsting and desiring for the things of God has an impact that goes far beyond yourself. If your measurement of fullness is, I'm going to fill it to the brim, that's not an accurate measurement of fullness. Fullness is measured by its overflow. Some of you have a measurement of fullness by how filled your cup is, not knowing that the fullness you're called to receive is a fullness that overflows and touches the people around you. What if we have a community that hunger and thirst for the things of God beyond their own life, beyond their own family, but for the families around them, for the people around them, for breakthrough in this church? What if we have a church that earnestly and desirously seeks the face of God for the things of God? Could we see more breakthrough in the church? Could we see more answers and solutions to problems? Recognize need. Second way we cultivate hunger is to reorganize priorities. To reorganize priorities. Any need that is repetitive, you're going to need a system or structure to resolve it. Any need that is repetitive, you're going to need a system or structure to resolve it. I'm going to buy a house in the near future. Hopefully. I'm going to finance a HDB loan. HDB is going to tell me how much money I need to pay them each month in order to finance that loan, yes? How many of you pay money to HDB? Yes, HDB is your friend. So, there is a system, right? What if, okay, there is no system and I pay HDB money whenever I felt like it or whenever um, I feel high or I feel happy? That's a recipe for disaster, am I right? Any need that is repetitive, you're going to need a system or structure to resolve it. And so, it's for you to recognize that your need for God is not a one-off thing that you can check off your list. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Give us this day our daily bread. Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds or is proceeding from the mouth of God. Your need for God is constant. Any need that is repetitive requires a system or structure to resolve it. My question to you this morning is, what structure and systems do you have in your life? What disciplines have you committed to to meet that need? Reorganize priorities. Last one. Remember glory. Remember glory. Glory. Jesus, in His rebuke and counsel to the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation, says this, You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. You have forsaken your first love. You have left the primary thing. Therefore, remember the height from which you have fallen. I put it to you that you can stir up a desire for God by remembering a time when you are pursuing God and experiencing inner mercy in your life with Him. See, I have stories like that. I have signposts that I've I've put in my life that I will often look back to. You know, it's, I don't know about you. I might be the sinful, only sinful man here. But I have my, is Jesus even real days? How many of you have, have that? Yeah? Just me and Melody? All right. <laughs> I have these days, right, where I'm like, God, are you even real? Are you even in my life, do you even love me? I have these days where I, I battle with these things, and that's why I need to put these signposts, these memorial stones, if you would, to look back and to remember that God is real. Yeah. You know, I remember I was on my first mission trip. This was to Yangon. I was with uh, a man named uh, James Singh, and uh, I don't know how many of you know James, but but we were we were in a mission trip, and you know I was in the youth ministry uh, at a point for two years, and. Uh, you know, we were a re- we are a really spirit-filled youth ministry. And so uh almost every Sunday you have the altar call. And I remember my first Sunday in church, I responded to the altar call, and I saw that when the leader person put his hand on their head, they would fall. And I was like, Oh, this is the thing you do in church. So I ended up adopting it as a part of my repertoire, if you will. And like when the person touched me, I was like, okay, you know. And then uh and then you have someone to catch, catch at the back, which, which is great. You know, and I wasn't that big back then, so you just needed one guy. And so, and so you know, people would fall out and I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. And, and I would do that. You know, but I would hear of people who uh, radically encountered the Lord in those moments. And I had none of that. I had the form, if you would. Like, I was like, hmm. You know, I, I had a form. But I didn't experience the power, I didn't experience the reality of God. And I was on that mission trip with, uh, with James and uh, he was praying for people. I remember I was leading worship and uh, people were just falling out, crying, wailing, encountering the Lord. And I was like, man, this is great. And then James uh, said to me, you, I want you to stand there. And, uh, and so I put on my guitar and uh, I stand in a specific spot. And what I can describe to you is that in that moment where he asked me to stand in the spot, I felt the lightning of God just hit me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet and I just started shaking and, and wailing and, and I just felt a waves and waves of electricity of the power of God just flow through my body over and over and over and over and over again. And I was out on the ground being overwhelmed by the love of God for 45 minutes. that encounter showed me that God was real. And He wanted to touch me. He he loves me. So perhaps the way for you to stir up hunger, even this morning, is to remember glory, to remember the days where you hungered, you thirst, because you knew that God was real. Maybe this morning you need to be reminded that, that Christianity is not an art form. But Christianity is a relationship. It's connection with the living God. I'm making sense to you this morning. I want to say also that familiarity kills hunger. Familiarity kills hunger. We can be so numb to this Christian thing. You know, Some of you have been doing it 20, 30 years. Come to church, lift your hands, hear a sermon, leave. Be so comfortable with being in this atmosphere that you have developed a form of spiritual callousness to the things of God, to the heart of God. Can we be a church that hungers and thirsts once again? Can we all stand? Before I end I want to show you a whoa. before I end I want to show you a video um, my first year in, in reading um, the church I was part of uh, experienced this uh, phenomenon that to be honest today still to today I have no words to explain uh, uh, I remember um, my first month in reading uh, I was in a church service and uh, the worship band was playing and they were they were worshiping the the Lord, and uh, the presence of God was so thick in the room, and all of a sudden, uh, in the right corner of the room, there came a cloud. This cloud uh, was bright, it was uh, uh, full of life, and and this cloud looked like it had a life on its own, and it began to fill the whole room. It was a cloud of glory that, uh, till today, I have no words to explain, you know, I You know, people would say, oh, it came for the air vents or they had a smoke machine in the ceiling. No, they didn't. You know, the thing appeared out of thin air and it looked as though it had a life on its own. And this cloud of glory would come into the room and, you know, people would be so caught up with the awe and wonder of the Lord. Children would run up to the cloud with their (laughs) mouths open just in total awe of the glory of God. And not only that, no, people started to get healed, started to get delivered in the glory. I'm, I, I'm, I'm wondering if this is what we need. Maybe we all need to be captured in wonder once again. Maybe we all need a reality check <laughs> to really, truly know that God is real. And I'm, I'm hungry and I'm, I'm thirsty and, and I so desire for that glory. Not that same glory, for a greater glory to visit us as a people. How many of you want that for the city? How many of you want that for your family? How many of you want that for this nation? How many of you want the reality of God to be made manifest in this nation, to be made manifest in this community? How many of you are sick and tired of diseases eating away at the life of the church? How many of you are sick and tired of people still being riddled with sin, with guilt and shame? How many of you are sick and tired of darkness winning? How many of you are sick and tired of not having the fullness of the kingdom of God manifest in our midst? I'm not satisfied. Are you satisfied? May we be a people that hunger and thirst.